0: about the inclusion revolution and the lessons within it. Daisy Oje Dominguez, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Jonathan.
0: It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Martha's Vineyard. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about the inclusion revolution and the Mm -hmm. lessons within it. Uh, This is just a fascinating topic. I'm super thrilled to have the opportunity to talk with you today. As we get started, I wanted to share Daisy's bio with everybody. Daisy has made it her mission to make workplaces more equitable and inclusive. As the chief people officer at Vice Media Group. Daisy leads a global team responsible for people operations, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, corporate facilities, and real estate procurement and social impact practices. Her TEDx talk, Inclusion Revolution, and book by the same title, calls on managers to take on the work of dismantling racial inequity in the workplace. She has designed, led, and scaled organizational transformations at Moody's Investor Service, the Walt Disney Company, Google, and Viacom, and founded the OJ Dominguez Ventures, a workplace consultancy. Dynamic speaker, writer, and advisor, Daisy serves on the boards of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, Brooklyn Children's Museum, Robert Sterling Clark Foundation, and St. Anne's Warehouse. What a fantastic background. It's a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share with me or my listeners by way of your background before we dive on it?
1: Um, I think that's, you, you've covered it quite well, Jonathan. I think the <laughs> the only the only other thing that I would add is that I am uh, Dominican and Puerto Rican. I was born in New York City and raised in the Dominican Republic. And I have a 14-year-old daughter and my husband, my daughter, and I live in Brooklyn.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So let's dive right on in. Uh, What inspired you to write Inclusion Revolution? Uh, The full title is Inclusion Revolution, the Essential Guide to Dismantling Inequity in the Workplace. And again, you have a TED Talk by the same title. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that and why you decided to write that, why that book, why now?
1: Um, Well, you know, the inspiration for any book, I believe, is is partly your lived experience. Um, And for me, the great driving force of my career has been helping others feel seen, valued and understood in the workplace Um, and to help organizations minimize people feeling like outsiders. Because it was part of my own winding journey. Um, Much of what shaped my desire to write Inclusion Revolution as a practical Hopefully, inspiring roadmap for building and growing equitable workplaces was my own experience in the workplace as a Latina, a person of color, an immigrant, and so much more.
0: It's always great to hear the origins behind these types of um, efforts because it's a Herculean effort to to put thoughts down to paper and to and it's it's quite the vulnerable effort to, to share it with the world. And so, I applaud you and all the work that you're doing. So, tell us more then about the inclusion revolution, what is it? Uh, Why should we be engaged in it? And how can we be a part of it?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, and I I think, you know, I appreciate you mentioning the vulnerability in writing a book. And I think it is, it's indeed a vulnerable experience to write and to share um, what you have experienced in the workplace, because many of us grew up in workplaces where we weren't we We weren't taught to share what we were feeling and what we were experiencing, but yet we're still feeling and experiencing every day. Um, and you know, as I rose from junior to executive ranks in some of the world's most admired companies, I often felt marginalized, overlooked. And, you know, as if you couldn't escape the most stereotype filled assumptions about, you know, your identity every single day. And I, you know, I didn't want anyone to feel like that, but, but even as I fought to break down barriers for women, people of color and other marginalized workers, essentially to bring more seats to the table. I have had to desperately fight to earn and keep my own seat at the table while having to manage how others have at times perceived my successes as some kind of injustice inflicted on them um, just because of our differences. And so I wrote Inclusion Revolution specifically for managers because management is what most directly impacts the experience of workers. And the people doing it have typically never been taught how to do it well, much less with an inclusive and an equitable lens. And so Inclusion Revolution is written to help the reader examine the root causes of racial inequity across the entire employee lifecycle, from recruitment to onboarding to development to retention, and to also take Action to drive that change within their space of influence. Because it's not enough to say that you're aware of what's happening. It's about what actions you can take individually. And each and every one of us has agency to drive some of those actions. And so the book follows the arc of the employee life cycle because it aims to fix one part of a broken system at a time. It's not about becoming overwhelmed with trying to fix it all but it's really about rumbling with what's uncomfortable what's you know how do you hold yourself and others accountable to driving this change and then also how do you make small tweaks over time because that's what's key to sustainable change and the reason why i call it the revolution the inclusion revolution is because the revolution is about driving change in our workplaces together and that change is if, if we drive that change, it will result in workplaces where structural inequities that limit access and opportunity are reduced, where work feels generative, where it feels effortless, despite the hard work that you have to do, and where it feels productive and joyful, because that's what I believe we all want our work experience to be.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I love that you look at it through all stages of the employee life cycle and the employee experience from those very early stages as you're starting to design the work itself to start to think through the, the, uh, the application funnel and the hiring process and the onboarding mm-hmm. and the ongoing training and development performance management, like all of it, right. Oh. Opportunities for succession planning <laughs> yes. uh, and for career development, all of it, right. All of it matters. And a lot of times when we get, when we talk about diversity, equity and inclusion in organizations, you know, I'll see, you know, a focus say on making sure that we're having a diverse pool of candidates. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, we need that, right. Yeah. But Let's if you get a diverse person into your workplace, but it's not an inclusive, welcoming environment of belonging where everyone feels like they have an opportunity to contribute in meaningful ways where their contributions are valued uh, and they can do that every day. If if that doesn't exist, guess what? They're not going to stay. So you're going to get more diverse diversity around the table, people will be able to see diversity, but there won't actually be inclusion and it won't actually drive any change in the organization. And you're just going to have like a revolving door of, of those people, your best diverse people leaving all the time. Uh, so that doesn't really move the needle, does it?
1: Not at all. You're spot on. Um, and I, and I talk, you know, the, the, the book, it was so hard to not make the book too long. Um, but, but to make it explicit enough into every one of those, um, elements of the employee life journey, because indeed, focusing too much on one versus the other limits your capacity to actually build an inclusive and equitable workplace, right? And so for most organizations, and this is how I I started out in this work, I started out as the head of diversity and inclusion for Moody's Investor Service. But um, one of the things that I realized shortly into my tenure was that it was like pulling teeth from the recruiters to attend the diversity events um that would you know that would you know generate diverse talent pipelines for us that it was pulling teeth from them to build inclusive hiring processes so that we had a system of fairness and equity in how we interviewed how we selected candidates and so in many ways i ended up emphasizing a lot of that work in the early part of my career because you know why? It's easier to focus on that. Um, it's hard, but it's it's easier because these are things that you can quantifiably impact. But then what you realize is, well, I'm spending all this time and energy and bringing this talent. But when they come to the workplace, they're walking into workplaces that are sometimes hostile to them, that sometimes do not understand who they are. We talked a lot about this when I was at Google. I was the global head of diversity staffing. And there was such a strong commitment to doing this work across the organization, but there was such an overemphasis on the recruiting piece of it. And then I was realizing as I would stay in touch with candidates, because that's what you do, right? Once you build relationship with candidates, you, you stay in touch with them. You realize, oh my goodness, we're sending them into places where sometimes they're the only person of color. They're the only woman. They're the only immigrant, you name it, whatever their most salient identity, um, uh, you know, identity formation was. And they're going into places where people are looking at them and saying, Things like, well, you know, we lowered the hiring bar to bring you here. Why should I make it? Why should I make it a safe place for you? Um, you know, or yes, I believe in diversity. Come on, like, tell us, tell us about everything about Black people, right? You know, like these experiences that happen every day, and it is, it is being able to look at the composite of the experience of your employees and realizing that it's not an us versus them, but that it is an opportunity to truly integrate difference and to think about not just how many more. Black people, Asian people, women—we have in the workforce this year. But what are the conditions that we create to maintain these organizations as predominantly white? Right. That's that is what the book, um, and throughout the book, I ask a lot of questions, <laughs> and there are a lot, and I and I create moments of pause because I know that you know you need those moments of reflection. But it, it is a lot about asking questions because we so quickly jump to action in this work without truly understanding the root causes of what we're even trying to solve for
0: yeah, it's so true and it, it's hard to, to to get that mindset shift to take hold um, you know especially those who've been resistant towards any diversity work in the first place let alone to move beyond kind of the again it's hard work i don't want to minimize the work of equity you know Mm -hmm. diversity and equity pieces um that those are essential pieces uh but for people who've been resistant to those in the first place to then move the needle to get to the point of like inclusive and belonging cultures and environments man that's a heavy lift (laughs) any thoughts on how you can help uh help Executives and, and leaders, really at all levels, to really start to adapt, adopt that mentality and that that framing.
1: You know, it, it it's it's very much how I write the book. the The book is is broken up into uh, into these four frameworks around reflect, vision, act, and persist. And the reason why I I sh- and, and it's, it's and it's not like there's a chapter that's written about that. Like I said, the the book is written around the entire employee life journey. But if if you if you look at the way that it's shaped, those first chapters are about, like, let's just really get our headspace right. <laughs> you know, so this is the advice that I always give leaders it's like, don't jump into what you think needs to be solved. You know, think about the summer of 2020 when every company started announcing all the things, all the things that they were going to do. And long everybody had long lists and bullets of all the things they were going to do to address racial. Um, inequity. And as I watch all of these lists, I, I would cringe sometimes from that, you know, out of worry for these organizations because I knew that it was these gut reactions of what we need to put out there so that we do not get canceled, so that we do, you know, so that the attention is not placed on us. Instead of really spending the time to speak to your employees, understand the sore spots in the organization because they're different. And every organizational culture is different. And then design a strategy and a process that makes sense and that can be absorbed over time. Because it's not about making this happen today. It's about absorption and integration and sustainability over time. And some of that requires some real reckoning with bad behavior and toxic, um, you know, toxic responses to things. And, you know, leaders that would, you know, and on the one hand, yell at me one day, and the next day, tell me, oh, my goodness, I don't know how to give Feedback to this black employee on my team, Daisy, come and sit next to me, and said, "No, no, no, no. You, you had no, wor- you, you were not worried about yelling at me yesterday for something that was really inconsequential. And today, you're actually walking away from what is core to your responsibility, which is providing performance feedback to all of your employees, regardless of what their racial, or ethnic, or gender background is. Um, so it is, it is those moments of it, it is very unique to the leader and the experience of the teams, and it is also about building muscles of how to um, take, you know, take away the one thing, and this is it, Jonathan, the one I, I've been, I've been interviewed about this. I've written about this. Um, I, I, a few articles on this on HBR. The one thing that's keeping us from delivering on all of these promises on diversity, equity, and inclusion is fear, <laughs> Fear is a hugely, hugely limiting factor. Um, and, but it, it's many different fears, right? It's fear of saying the wrong thing. It's fear of not doing enough. It's fear of losing your stature. It is historic trauma that we carry about how we have been mistreated or things have been taken away from us in the past, of how much we've had to work, um, how much we've, you know, how much we've had to face hurdles that were unfair right they were all unfair but i faced these hurdles so why can't you face them too right it's it's all of these things that none of us want to say out loud because you know we we are we feel shame about them but they are the things that like hold us back from driving change they're they're that feeling in the you know in the pit of your stomach that just freezes you and doesn't enable you to be the leader that i i actually believe most humans want to be right i i really do believe that most leaders want to work in organizations where they feel respected and valued and recognized, and where they in turn respect and value and recognize others. But we get stuck in our own ways. And and so to answer your question a bit more succinctly, the way that I work with leaders and engage them is is by walking them through these steps and, and having them recognize where their sore spots are in the organization, helping them find those. And and it's not always me. It's not always about me finding it for them. It's about them doing that work. And then, and then co-creating or, you know, or enabling conditions for them to create, what are the two to three things that you're going to do differently? What, you know, and and that begins with asking your questions, like as simple as what confuses you or what scares you, or, you know, what excites you about this work? Sometimes asking that question alone can can really open up the space of, hey, this is where, you know, I think I may be failing. This is where I think I may be going. And then you build a a roadmap around that and you build it, which is why the chapters in inclusion revolution at the end of each chapter, there's a bit of a cheat sheet and I call it your roadmap to to your inclusion revolution because, you know, I didn't want to make it feel like, oh my gosh, I have to read this whole book. And then once I'm done with the book, then everything is done. It's like, no, you know, it's like, from time to time, you're going to have to go back to these chapters and be reminded. I was like, oh, what are the questions that I was asking? What are the things that I need to do? And as a chief people officer, or as a leader in most organizations, these are the things that I, that I encourage my team members to constantly remind leaders about. This is, you know, let's remember that it's reasonable to want to work in an environment where you can do great work where you can be recognized for it, where you can thrive. It's reasonable to expect a relationship with your manager where you can share your truths, right? Talk about your work, your growth, the things that get in the way. It's reasonable to expect that feedback be delivered thoughtfully and without bullying or personal attacks. And it's reasonable to expect clarity on what matters, how you're measured, how you work you know, how your work will have an impact on, you know, on the organization. What happens if you fail? All of these things are reasonable and forget that, you know, the most fundamental of it is that it is reasonable to expect to be treated respectfully with dignity and to be understood as an adult and a human being with varied life experiences and demands on your life, whether you're a caregiver, whether regardless of whether you're a caregiver or not, but what, whatever those life demands are for you. And that's, That's the kind of reminder that we all need from time to time to be better managers and leaders, to be inclusive managers and leaders, to be equitable managers and leaders.
0: Yeah. And let me just put a fine point on this. Everything you just said doesn't even necessarily explicitly have to do with DEIB stuff, right? It's just leadership. <laughs> it's just being a good leader. Treat people with Spot dignity on. and respect. Focus on coaching, mentoring, developing your people, performance management, like all the things that go into being a good effective leader. Uh nothing you just said should be a surprise to anybody. And if you're doing your job as a as a leader, you're doing those things. Even if we're not Talking about it in relation to DEIB, right? And so let's just remember that. Let's continue yeah. to make those efforts. Let's not step away from it or sidestep it and say, you know, that I, you know, I get it. I'm I'm a, a straight cisgender white dude, and so for people like me, it can be a a bit of a fraught space. Sometimes you're a little bit nervous to to enter the space and have dialogue mm-hmm. around these types of topics, and so. And we know that disproportionately there's a lot of people like me, straight cisgender white dudes, that are in leadership positions and organizations. And so a lot of times they they simply hand it off to somebody else because they're uncomfortable, or they just don't feel like they know how to do it, or maybe yep. they their mindset's not in the right place in the first place. For whatever the reason, we can't ignore this. It's just the job of being a leader. And so let's do our job. Let's be more effective at it. We can learn how to do it better. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to say dumb things. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and I'm going to, you know, my, my actions and my words aren't always going to be completely congruent with maybe my intentions. So, you know, I need to be patient with myself. I need to try to be patient with those around me, but I can't, sidestep my responsibility, right? It's, it's essentially my responsibility to be engaged in this work. And I need to, to put my best foot forward, even if that is not a perfect step forward every time.
1: You're, you're spot on. Um, I've also written about, um, failures in DNI because we're so afraid of, again, the fear and the failure of it. And my advice is to, you know, give yourself some grace, um, you know, give grace to others pick yourself up and just admit where you made a mistake. And, you know, and, you know, I just, I was just talking, I'm sorry. I was just speaking to a senior leader last week um, about how his actions were interpreted by some of his team members and he was denouncing it, you know, just, just, he was so stern about that is not what I meant to say. And I was like, it doesn't matter what your intention was at that point. What I'm sharing right now is how it was perceived by those around you. And, and there's a difference between intent and impact. And again, this is not about vilifying you because I think that we, we get in this, our first reactions are about saying no to these um, these statements or this feedback that we receive because we're just so afraid of being vilified or fired or you know reprimanded. And And the conversation was about finding that space of understanding and kindness of saying, hey, I know you didn't mean that. <laughs> I know you're not a bad person. However, what I'm trying for you to understand is that your words had this impact on the people that you are responsible for and the people that you should be showing care for that evidence of care as a manager. And the opportunity here is for you to find a common ground. And part of that is to be able to say, this was not my intent, but I recognize that this is how you experienced it. And I've, and and, and I'm recognizing it, not just like, just to say it, right. I'm recognizing it. And honestly that, you know, and I, and I am sorry that that is how I was interpreted. How can we find a way going forward as a team where we can have that sense of respect and trust, because that's the team that I want that I want to lead. And it's those moments of truth that we're so afraid of having, but that are so important with our teams. And to your point, And this is this is really you know what inclusion revolution is about. I was like, you know, it's essentially a management book in many ways. Is you know it is how to manage, and it is how to manage with a with a lens on racial equity, so that we realize it's not just the basics that we're getting wrong. Is the basics that we're getting wrong are disproportionately impacting those who are already marginalized and most vulnerable in your organizations. So if we get the basics right for everyone, this is how we build truly thriving workplaces. And that I believe is that's, that's the end game here. That's what we can build. And that's what I believe. And I see many managers want to achieve on their teams.
0: Yeah. Well said, Daisy, this has just been a real pleasure. I know at the time I need to let you go, but before we wrap up for today, I just want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Well, you can find out more about me. and I am an avid LinkedIn um, commenter. I am on Instagram and on Twitter, on Twitter, Daisy AD, on Instagram and on LinkedIn, my full name, Daisy OJ Dominguez. Um, The book can be found on Amazon or on any of your local and large um, bookstores across the country. I I get such a thrill every time someone posts some remote place that they found the book. It just, it's still, I, I still can't believe that I'm a published author. Um, and, you know, and I just want to close by saying, thank you for having me. I appreciate you amplifying this important message. And for those of you listening, I believe that change is possible. And I believe that it is possible because of people like you that care about this work and that are willing to put one foot in front of the other and try every day to build better workplaces for everyone. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you, Daisy. Again, it's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Daisy can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please